Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solo Warriors, welcome. Welcome back. This is a slightly longer intro than typical, but as always, I want to thank you for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you possess, your time. My, my, where has the time gone? It feels like just yesterday I was recording episode number 85 with today's guest. And here we are ringing in another century with episode number 400. It is truly a journey. I'm honored to have you here to celebrate this milestone with me, the Suncast Tribe. And really, there are few people I would rather spend time with reflecting on not just this Suncast milestone, but just how far our industry has come in the last six years than Mike Silvestrini. And what an exciting future we have before us still. Today's entrepreneur is no stranger to distributed energy, high growth startups, and even the complications and rewards of development, both domestic and international. We published episode 85 in May of 2018, and it was the first and I think only podcast where Mike Silvestrini talked about selling the then largest U.S. solar company, which he founded and grew to over a billion dollars in assets under management before selling it successfully to Clean Focus in December of 2017. Even on that episode, we talked a bit about his vision for Energia. Since then, he's been on a mission to unlock the opportunity of renewable energy investing for the average person. You, you know, you and me. Today, Mike and I spend time not only reflecting on what got us here, but also what he and his team at Energia envision as the future of renewable energy retail investing. Mike gets me to talk a little bit about what I've learned in 400 interviews and what I'm excited about for the future of Suncast. And he, in turn, shares his own view on how we can all contribute to the coming wave of what our mutual mentor, Jigger Shaw, calls climate wealth. This is the greatest opportunity to unlock it that any of us have ever really been presented with. If you want a little different flavor on this interview, well, you can jump over to our YouTube channel where you can actually watch the interview. (laughs) That's right. At long last, we've published a full video interview about time right if you like what you hear then i hope you'll subscribe to the podcast as that's how you'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this you can find 400 that's right 400 additional founders stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com where you'll also see links to the YouTube channel I just mentioned and other fun ways that you can keep in touch, like our upcoming webinar with Scanifly, 
all about drone-based site surveys and system designs. All right, now let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we are back. And uh, yes, as the title and intro suggest, we've hit a milestone here on Suncast 400 episodes. Wow, 400 episodes. And, uh, you know, someone near and dear to me and to, uh, and to my family and my tribe is a guy, Mike Silvestrini, if you're watching here on YouTube, you've no doubt already seen his handsome mug if you're listening on the podcast. He is, he's become such a good friend over the years. You know, his episode back, episode 85 of Suncast is one of the most listened to episodes. It's one of the most recommended. In fact, a friend of ours uses it for one of his college courses that he teaches as an example of what it looks like to start and grow and exit a solar company. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Mike Silvestrini, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to his backstory, episode 85, and hear how he built a company called Green Skies. And uh, we talked about that. We're going to talk about what's happened since then. That was 2016. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, well, we actually exited in 2017, and then we probably chatted about it a couple months thereafter, middle of 2017-ish. Yeah, well, welcome to episode 400, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Congratulations to you, sir. Thanks, man. I remember when this it was just an idea, and here we are, 399 <laughs> episodes later. Yeah, Very man. Cool. Th- and, uh, yeah, 315 episodes uh, since you and I last did this uh, formally re- recorded. Wow. I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll share a lot of different stories, uh, but I'd love to because I know that you are a listener. Uh, is there anything that stands out for you that, uh, or, or maybe like how you tell people what Suncast is? Everybody asks me, kind of tell me about your podcast or what it is, and I'm always the one turning the question back on them and going, "Hey, what is Suncast to you?" So I'd love to hear that answer from you. What do you, What does Suncast for you represent in the industry, and in what industry? Well, you definitely provide people an opportunity to present what their lives are like in this industry as a member of this industry. And there's so many different walks of life that are now part of the energy transition. When you think about it, uh, you you have solar entrepreneurs, you have technical minded folks in the engineering perspectives, you have multiple different industries uh, that comprise the energy transition. So there's all sorts of individuals that comprise you know, this tribe, as you say, and yeah. you know, you've done a great job, I think, of sharing the little stories about what it is to be part of this. And, um, you know, so for new listeners, especially, you know, if we have a new team member joining uh, my current company, you know, I always recommend them to get an ear on some of your podcasts so that they can start to develop a perspective mm-hmm. of where the industry has been. Because, uh, you know, it's been going on now for you know, 20 plus years of, of a serious uh, pace, a professional grade industry, I would say. Yeah. And you've been able to kind of capture a lot of that in those personalities that have been there, uh, some longer than others. But, uh, you know, lo- there's a lot of stories to tell. And you've done a great job of transmitting that, bro. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, we were chatting uh, just yesterday about the idea that not just your company, but others have reached out and said, hey, what episodes of Suncast would be useful for some of our team members who are new to the industry? And, you know, when we started Suncast, right. there weren't – people weren't listening because they were new to the industry. We were such a small pocket of the of the world that the folks that were listening were there because they 
are in the industry and they wanted to know if there was something they had missed, right? I often say to guests when I'm preparing for an interview that two things are true about our listeners thus far. The first is they're by and large in the industry in some way, or they're trying to figure out how to get into the industry. And the idea is that I want them to walk away feeling like they have been able to have this guilty pleasure of eavesdropping on a conversation between two friends in the industry who are pontificating in some way about their career transition or career growth and how, how they did it, right? And, and, in the back, and in the back of their minds, especially for those who are in the industry, usually they're middle to upper level management or executives, founders of companies. They're asking a different question. They're asking a very very interesting question, and it sounds something like this. Am I doing this right? <laughs> yeah, we, we have also learned that there's plenty of wrong ways to do this, right? Totally. And, uh, but you see the same characters, you know, even, you know, uh, those of us who have stumbled along the way, and nobody has gotten, you know, multiple years in this space and not stumbled a little bit. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough business. But, uh, you know, people stick with it. You kind of fall in love with this industry, and you become a staple. And I think that you see a lot of uh, people that – I don't see too many people joining the energy transition and then, like, leaving to go get in the coffee business. Right. You know, that doesn't really happen that much. But you see plenty <laughs> of people from the coffee business come and join and, and you know, try the uh, the renewable energy business. So I think the, the opposite is true. One thing, Nico, is just how big – the energy transition has become. I mean, if you mm. were to take all of the people involved in not only solar and wind and offshore wind and battery yeah. storage and electric cars, I mean, this thing must be uh, just an enormous group of people. There's an yeah. enormous participation. And uh, it's, it's I think true. we're when... still undervaluing the number of jobs. Uh, how mm -hmm. many of, of, of people who are kids age, you know, as they graduate and they join the workforce, how much of the workforce is going to be sustainably oriented jobs uh, you know, 20 years from now? Yeah, it's really true. There's, uh, I, I call uh, what we have right now in uh, broader energy, uh, we've pretty much nailed down in many ways the, the capital constraints, right? Um, and there's this term that is used in tr usually traditional energy, fossil fuels, uh, around stranded assets. Uh, but to, to your point, we have, we have two really big opportunities right now in the clean energy transition. Um, one is uh, the, the level of human capital, the workforce development, uh, is a monumental task to actually train folks up. I mean, at every level, field, blue-collar workers, all the way up through executives and, and founders and you know, financiers of this industry. Um, the second is also, and this is a little bit less obvious, but I'm seeing it through the lens of Suncast, is the idea that there are stranded assets that we aren't capitalizing on right now, and that is the human capital that started in one career and they need to transition to another. And that first career mm -hmm. was geophysicists and uh, other levels of science and engineering and marketing and sales and business development who have spent the entirety of their career trying to extract fossil fuels out of our earth and utilize them to power our lives and our industrial transition. And they mm -hmm. never thought when they went to school for this or when they got a phenomenal job uh, making pretty good money uh, contributing to the industrial growth of our society that they'd have to worry halfway through their career or in some cases two-thirds – 
that that it would evaporate underneath him. But more yeah, than a hundred. We don't do a great job as an industry also tipping our hat to mm. uh, the other energy forces. I don't think anybody you know started drilling for oil with ill intent. I mean, well, right. maybe that's not true. But, maybe not uh, anyway. You know, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it has brought us so much, and we sit here in this lifestyle as you yeah. know as a courtesy of those fuel types and yeah in many ways the united states is the united states because it sat on all that coal mm -hmm. and uh you know really mobilized that that extremely useful and powerful energy source so you know it is what it is uh it's certainly its exhaust must go but yeah. you know thanks to those industries uh for creating the world that we live in today and providing the lifestyles that we have today Right. You know, you know, I have to say that's the, you, that is so eloquently said, Mike, and it's it, it's the first time on the stage of Suncast that that anyone has said it in such a beautiful way. And I want to thank you for that. First, I want to just say for <laughs> for a moment, like this is unscripted, as much of this conversation will be. But uh, you just took the words out of my mouth in terms of how I believe that we as a society and i'm going to call like our clean energy community a society for a moment mm -hmm. we have villainized the oil and gas industry and uh, you rarely hear folks say what you just said which is thank you uh we're we're gonna we're gonna take the torch now thank you and by the way we're gonna right. continue to light the path and you're welcome to join us and you there's it amazes me how many folks still to this day believe that they won't they, they have this sort of, I won't hire anyone out of oil and gas, um, but we really should be bridge builders because that's the real stranded asset right now in the fossil fuel shutdown is the incredible amount of human capital that has been developed that we could redeploy into mm -hmm. the clean energy transition. And we have to just, we have to show them a community that is willing to embrace them and, and acknowledge the incredible skill set from energy trading to modeling to exploration that we need to broaden the diversity in our industry 100 percent. and there, there's no way that the renewable energy industry would ever work out if we didn't have that market infrastructure you know the way yeah. that we trade power especially in this country uh but elsewhere as well it's, it's so sophisticated and and i think it's one of the most natural mm -hmm. true markets in the world is the way that you know a, a independent system operator in the United States trades power. It's really a beautiful thing. And that architecture existed before we got here. And yeah. um, you know, we, we use it now to trade yeah. cleaner kilowatt hours, but uh, it was built on the backs of those fossil fuel businesses. 100%, the, the, what, we, what we refer to now is DERs, the ability mm -hmm. to have a FERC 2222 regulation. Like it exists because uh, interregional operators decided how interstate trading would work and uh, and and it creates both inside of a market and in between markets this arbitrage and it turns out in many ways uh, renewables have proven a better resource to serve those loads than traditional right. energy uh, and I think that we're gonna see a world I think we're seeing it now with uh, and in particular in Texas, I think Texas is an unbelievable petri dish for us right now of what's actually happening in the clean energy transition, because there's so many folks who are waking up to the reality that their skills are incredibly useful across the energy matrix, regardless of whether it's extracted from the ground or the sky. 
Yeah, and Nico, 400 episodes in, you know, let's keep that in mind here. Here we go. And I back know to... you do a lot of work with like helping coach people who are new yeah. to the industry and executives who are already in the industry who are, you know, looking for a different lane to drive in. Um, you know, so with your bird's eye view of what it's like to mobilize into this space uh, across many different career paths that are all contained in the industry, you know, yeah. what do you see as, you know, where are people coming from? Uh, mm. is, is there anything in common amongst people who are starting in one lane and then coming over to the energy transition for their careers? Yeah, that's a, uh, well, first I want to say uh, thanks for uh, pointing out one of the things that for me has been the, maybe the single best result of having started Suncast in 2015 on, <laughs> on my birthday, October 6th, we're coming up mm -hmm. on, uh, what, six years now of of Suncast um, is that ability to leverage what I've known all my life of, uh, is that folks have always gravitated towards asking me to go grab a coffee or lunch when they have mm -hmm. or when they have a, a career transition in mind. They need a, they need somebody else to help validate their ideas and decisions and uh, and through the platform of Suncast, I've been just given such an incredible view into how in, how the industry is evolving and how companies solve human resource needs and capital needs. And it's given me an op opportunity as well to talk offline with a lot of the guests who in most in most cases are, if not founders, like C-level executives in their company, about how they're thinking about growing their business. And the companies that are attracting talent from outside of our industry, and in particular from fossil fuels. Uh, they, they are doing so on two different levels. I'll give you kind of a couple of examples. I see a lot of folks right now who are traditional, uh, we call them land men, right? But land, like land development professionals. Mm -hmm. And actually this is, many folks don't realize this outside of traditional uh, energy. But Canada, for example, has an entire career track in their university system for land origination, right? Understanding the detail around acquiring land for the purposes of developing fossil fuel, energy, you know, pipelines, et cetera. Right. That skill set, you and I, I both recognize, they're super good at it. And they know things that uh, even our industry is still trying to figure out in many ways. But that skill set has been realized by a lot of those folks. They're, they're going, oh, wait, this is actually, uh, as one of my previous bosses said, uh, you know, solar is, uh, is, a, is a real estate transaction without the occupancy risk. And what we are engaged in, in in most energy transactions is real estate at the end of the day. Like there's a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of elements of real estate involved. So folks from land development broadly, be that real estate or uh, or different fuel mixes are seeing that their skills are incredibly valuable for siting solar, wind, geothermal, carbon capture and storage projects, right? And, right. and, and that, and that skill set's universal, by the way, across all four of those categories I just named and, and biofuels and, as well. Uh, so that's one area where I see a huge influx and I've, you know, Robert Latimer is a great example. He reached out to me as a listener and said, thank you. I've figured out kind of how to transition from being a land guy in oil and gas to helping companies like Nextera figure out their land problems on in the Midwest mm -hmm. and uh, 
Uh, Brian Scott, another friend of mine up in Canada, has completely transitioned to developing solar and storage projects throughout Canada and has become extremely well-recognized. Dude gets like 50, 100,000 views on his posts on LinkedIn. He's figured out how to, uh, how to language his understanding and knowledge and be an advocate for the industry. Uh, the I see him. Yeah, I'm, one, yeah. I'm one of those 150,000 for sure. Totally. The other side <laughs> of it is – uh, is the sales and marketing because if there's like sales is one of those universal skills. If you can learn how to sell something, you can learn how to sell anything, uh, if you're good at it. And I see a lot of folks who understand the fundamentals of trading power, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. realizing that their ability to speak in terms of hedges and derivatives, not only gives confidence to investors in wall street, but it gives confidence to executives in, the, in our industry who have come from a power background. Maybe they were utility executives and they aren't seeing folks come up in their in our kind of solar traditional business development pipeline who really have a macro understanding of how the grid works. And so a lot of traders and a lot of power executives have a really easy transition if they can find that side door, if they can find For the right sure. network, right? Um, Do you think that they're coming over because uh, this is where the jobs are uh, and this is where the future paychecks are going to be coming from? Or do you think that they're coming over for a greater sense of purpose and, you know, trying to be part of, um, you know, a solution that we, we desperately need as a civilization? What do you think drives mm. the transitions? Well, I can tell you what I hear from the folks in our coaching programs. Um, you know, we, we launched last year, about a year ago, the mission-minded program, program, 12 weeks to the clean energy career that you love. Um, been kind of fiddling mm -hmm. with the name for that, but it's worked uh, to help, you know, we've had about 20 folks come through our program so far to kind of help us understand what is the narrative? What are people saying? The kinds of folks that are coming into our programs are, you know, not unlike uh, an executive I recently spoke to from Chevron. And she said, you know, I've spent the last 14 years buying assets from uh, from oil sites or from refineries that are going out of business and you know b uh, proc learning the procurement game of how to uh, buy these other stranded assets within our industry and repurpose them for Chevron and I've just realized that uh, you know, as my children get older I want to be able to give them a sense of hope and the last thing i want is to have to justify to my 15 year old who is now five the following question mommy you knew that this was not good for our planet why did right. you keep working there yeah i've heard that a few times it's sort of like almost blame of this our parents generation and, yeah. and you know, it, even though it's certainly not the damage of a single generation, it's certainly not the damage right. of, you know, all the individuals of a generation. But there is this kind of argument, I've, and I don't know that I agree with it, but I've heard it a couple times recently that there is this sort of, you know, finger pointing, generational finger pointing going on. Yeah. And, you know, and I've heard it phrased, you know, in one way that was really interesting that if it can take one or two generations to go, you know, to really eradicate the bulk of the biodiversity of the planet to pollute most of the water of the planet mm -hmm. to cause enough exhaust to warm the planet then maybe it would only take one or two generations to turn it around because man mm -hmm. one generation could have such 
a profound impact on yeah. the way the world works. Yeah. Uh, but so that's I do the think people we're talking to is like, you know, mm -hmm. they don't want to be on the wrong side. They don't want to be on the wrong point. side of history. That's right. Right. I, I, I think that at least, you know, I could pontificate all of the potential reasons. Uh, I cling to that one, actually. I, I want to work with, and so therefore I try to create content for the folks who have gotten to a place in their career where they, and this could be oil and gas, could be high tech. They're just tired of creating algorithms for, you know, um, leveraging They're cat videos. Tired and of selling widgets likes. or yeah. anything. Anything yeah. that doesn't have the meaning that you get exactly. as being part of this in industry. You know, that's yeah. a gift. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we can thank Greta Thunberg, who like was, I don't know, nine when I started Suncast, um, to, for helping raise the global consciousness that there is a crisis of consciousness around what we're doing to our home. There's no planet B, unless you're Elon Musk and, you know, believe in, that we're going to populate interstellar. Not in stellar, time. But, you know, we, we may, but, but uh, you know, we, we don't have anywhere near the time it takes to think about, yeah. um, you know, other options here so we yeah. really need to to fix this it's we need all well, hands on deck right and yeah that's why it's cool to see what you've done with this podcast is to sort of summon all hands on deck and yeah. to kind of beat that drum and mm. i think it's probably uh has more of an impact than you probably even know i wonder there's really no way to quantify right the the impact so hard of with a podcast, podcast so far yeah it's tough, but uh, it's a you know we can quantify your listen to marketing this. campaigns a lot a lot easier than we can qualify, quantify uh, <laughs> podcast impact right now. Um, For sure, yeah. But it's no, I mean, it's it's not that different from being able to uh, quantify you know the latest blockbuster hit on Netflix. Like we don't know what kind of meaningful impact it's had on people's lives. We just can see how many people watched it. So uh, I kind of see that this you know this explosion of. Um, what feels like one-to-one -one content on in the medium of podcasting has given us the ability to really feel like we have a closer connection with people. And that's what we've tried to do on Suncast for 399 episodes. And, you know, one of the great uh, rewards that I have of having done this and leaned in is people who reach out both as guests and listeners and say, thank you for helping me feel like I'm more connected to the industry. And, uh, you know, we plan to just do more of that, right? We're at episode 400 now. I'll be at episode 4,000 before I even think about quitting this thing, right? And uh, and, the, and the ways that we have to evolve as a platform and myself as a presumptive you know, thought leader or speaker or you know, representative in some way of, of the clean energy transition uh, are profound because uh, two things are true. We still don't have enough money and we don't have enough people to, right. to make this work. So. You know, I'm, I but love the money that. thing almost seems easier, you know, like, it, you know, yeah. we, we can kind of, that can happen overnight if we, if under mm -hmm. certain circumstances, but you can't, you know, remobilize and retool the mm -hmm. people of a society, yeah. uh, as quickly. So that's well, why this is such an important task. Yeah. And, and while I, you know, pretty much dedicated the rest of my career to helping mobilize the people, uh, I'm profoundly uh, honored to be able to work alongside people like you who have dedicated the rest of their careers to mobilizing the capital to make it happen. Uh, so I don't want to get too wrapped up in episode 400 about like pontificating on the philosophical f futures of Suncast and, and miss the opportunity <laughs> to be able to talk a bit about how Mike Silvestrini and, and his views and visions have evolved since you know, mid-2017 when, uh, if listeners will recall, we did talk about a little 
relatively kind of an idea that was germinating at the time that you were calling Energia.com. I could tell stories about when you first called and started telling me about it, but uh, would you humor me and give me a, 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 a sense of what, as someone who has built a successful company by any standard in this industry and exited and has have developed a sense of like, I'll call it comfort and security, um, the ability to continue investing now in the industry. What was going through your mind in 2017, 2018 um, about how you could, like what your sophomore act could be? Because you're a serial entrepreneur. Like uh, you, maybe you tell a story about how like your money was tied up and nobody, and you realized that nobody could, could invest it better than you. <laughs> but I'd love to hear kind of how, <laughs> kind of the idea of Energia 2018. We'll talk a little bit about how, how that idea has evolved as well. Well, I mean, you just, you know, I've told you this story more than once and, uh, you know, you've been here for the whole ride. So some of this will be redundant, but it really did start off as, um, you know, taking a bunch of solar panels and in mm -hmm. one day converting it all into cash. You know, yeah. we sold the company and uh, I didn't have any solar panels for the first time in a decade. And, uh, but I had money for the first time in my life and you have to figure out, you know, what to do with that. And that's not a skill that very many people are equipped with. Um, yeah. you know, some people are lucky and they have like friends and family that they might be able to share ideas with and, to, uh, but you know, at the scale that we were at, it was, it was not easy for me to get information on what to do next. And mm -hmm. there's very few books. Somebody was saying, you know, there's like a million books about how to start a business and there's really very few about mm -hmm. how to end them and what to do next. And yeah. uh, that's very true. So, you know, you do what you do when you think you're selling a business or if you think you're going to come into some capital resources is you start talking to investment companies. So, you know, you'll have four or five individuals all suited up. They come to your house. Uh, you know, from Wells Fargo and Goldman Sachs and, you know, JP Morgan, whichever, insert bank here. And then you have the little local shops and the RIAs, right? And they're trying to win uh, the right to manage your capital. And they all are selling the same three things. Uh, you can have sort of the low risk product uh, that has a 4% yield uh, over the last 30 years. It's, it's sort of where it's trending. Or some of our clients like to take sort of a, a mid risk product at 5%. And then some of our more aggressive customers like a 6% type of portfolio. And no matter what you do, it's some like stirred blend of stocks and bonds. And uh, the idea here is you take all the money that you just made doing something that you love and that you're great at, and then you're supposed to hand it over to these banks, and then they're going to deposit that capital into all these stocks and bonds so you don't have to worry about it, and you're protected on a long-term financial security. basis. Yeah. You get that security, right? And uh, everybody is doing this to some degree, um, which I've learned since. Like, you know, I'll take my dad for an example, never really viewed himself as an investor. But, uh, you know, he's a newspaper man. He's a writer, still is. And yeah. uh, although he's retired, he can't stop writing. It's part of who he's become. And um, you know, this whole time, he's been working for companies and creating a retirement plan. And whether it's a 401k or an IRA or a pension uh, across various jobs that he's had over time, that made him an investor. And he never really recognized that. But this whole time, he's had hundreds of thousands of dollars that, uh, invested in 
in stocks and bonds, just like uh, everybody else does. So right. it's kind of interesting to think, take a step back. Everybody's doing this at some scale. Everybody is investing a significant amount of capital in their retirement plan or money that they've earned professionally into stuff. And that stuff is basically, uh, you know, there's there's the keeper of the gate to the stuff is Wall Street. So we hand it to Wall Street. Wall Street takes the money and then they invest in these companies and they just keep picking Amazon. <laughs> just keep on investing in the same stuff. Yeah. I feel like that was not right for me. That just did not feel right. You know, have I, I wanted my solar panels back. And uh, so it took me a little while to like, you know, I tried it. I moved some resources over to uh, a banking friend. These guys were great. You know, I really liked them and they were trustworthy and they were decent folks who really were trying to make my future secured. But eventually I had to give them the news that, you know, this isn't for me. Uh, and you know, took the capital back and called up a buddy of mine, Chris Sattler, said who had also recently just exited a company called North American Power, and was mm-hmm. kind of thinking on the same questions that I was. And we said, you know, what can we do here that would be better than you know a diversified mutual fund portfolio? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't trust it. I don't think it's going to grow as fast as I can make it grow. And it doesn't have the impact that, for me, that's what I live for. And, mm. and doing something big and loud. Uh, yeah. And so we created Energia by accident in order to invest our capital into renewable energy where, where we felt it belonged. And uh, I'm horrifically uh, overweight in a single asset class. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just where I like it. The drones are coming. Want to win a free drone for your arsenal, Solar Warrior? Look, if you're building a residential solar business, then you already know that your site survey and project design backlog is a critical path item. If you're looking to rapidly scale in the next few months and close out 2021 with a bang, then you really should tune in to episode 401 of Suncast. It's a tactical Tuesday with practical advice on how to triple your site survey volume with two feet safely on the ground and zero redesigns or change orders. Even better, join me and Scanifly's CEO, Jason Steinberg, on Thursday, September 23rd at 3 p.m. Eastern and learn exactly how to build a drone program and why it's one of the fastest ways to remove barriers to your company's growth. Plus, you could win a free DJI Mavic 2 Pro and be enrolled in the Drone Pilot Ground Schools Part 107 course. If all that sounds interesting to you, then go to scanifly.com forward slash suncast and register to attend the live event or watch the replay. That's scanifly.com forward slash suncast. Hey, want to protect your margins and get projects over the line fast? Look, we all know solar development teams waste millions of dollars every year on inefficient development. We both know that the old school methods of engaging with stakeholders, collaborating on documents, and even pitching investors is literally starving you of the one thing that you won't get back, time. You need greater velocity in your deals that only comes from tried and true duplicatable processes so your margins aren't constantly under attack. And in an increasingly competitive marketplace where even big oils getting in on the green gold rush the right software will help 
keep your team focused and in control of what really matters. Lucky for you, Enian Project Manager is purpose-built software made for developers by developers. Sign up for free now and start moving faster with software made just for you. Go to enian.co and see what Enian Project Manager can do for you. That's E-N-I-A-N dot C-O. One last thing before we get back to today's episode. I wanted to let you know about an opportunity that just might be perfect timing for you. You might already know that I do coaching for entrepreneurs, founders, executives, and increasingly folks who are in a major transition in their life or career. And I find that fourth quarter is often couched as a do or die time of year. My clients usually really benefit from having a strategic advisor as an ally for not just wrapping the year well, but knowing that you've got a solid plan for the incoming year. Now, I only open up spots for coaching a few times a year, as many of you know, and I keep the roster pretty small, but I've decided that I'd like to open up a few more spots through the end of this year. So for the next couple of weeks, I'll be accepting applications to fill two spots that I have available. If that sounds interesting to you, I'd encourage you to go to mysuncast.com, click on work with Nico up in the menu, fill out the brief application and book a 15 minute clarity call with me. I'll only be accepting a couple of people this quarter and I'm closing this offer in a few weeks so we can focus on your Q4 and Q1 plan. So if you've ever considered hiring a coach, maybe now is the right time to take the next step. I look forward to hearing from you soon, Solar Warriors. Now back to today's episode. I was still working on helping Faro a company that we now both are well familiar with down in Brazil. And I was still running around over Latin America. I just had just left Conergy when I started Suncast and I was working at Faro and I was spending most of my time in Central America, Brazil, Colombia, uh, Chile. And I got a call from you and it's maybe around the time that we, Hmm. uh, maybe a little before we did our first interview and, and you said, Nico, what's happening in Brazil, man? (laughs) And I was like, Mike, you're in Connecticut. What the hell do you know about Brazil? <laughs> and you said, I don't know, man. It looks like this DG market down there is going to blow up. Uh, what do you know about it? What do, what's going on down there? Do you want to go down and, and help us figure out what's happening in Brazil? And I was like, man, Mike, I love you, man. And I trust your nose and instinct. And yeah, Brazil's doing well. But I got a family to feed, man. I can't go to Brazil right now. Um, <laughs> and you called me a couple months later and you're like, Chris is going down. Chris is going to move there. <laughs> and I was just like, wait a minute. Wait, you're, you're going to build a company in Brazil? Tell me when it yeah. occurred to you that Brazil – so I think this is a question that a lot of entrepreneurs have. It's now you've kind of taken back that investment and control of it, but, but where do you point the rifle, right? You can't shotgun sure. globally. Where do you point the rifle? How would you decide on Brazil? You know, uh, it, it was a lot – uh, of Chris's credit here, because I think it wasn't me. It was, it was Chris who was like, mm-hmm. "Brazil's gonna pop," and mm-hmm. it was while I was still uh, at Green Skies. And when we sold Green Skies, you know, um, I knew that I wanted to be able to take that on. So I was, I had a non-compete uh, mm-hmm. against. You know, I couldn't go back into the U.S. market for for some period right. of time after I sold Green Skies. Mm-hmm. That's since over now, but. Um, 
I made sure that that non-compete didn't extend to include uh, any mark outside of the United States because that's really where right. I wanted to go next anyways. And Chris and I were figuring this out. It would have been part of Green Skies had we not sold the business. But now yeah. we had sold the company. We were able to really focus our efforts on, on Brazil. And Brazil is a huge market. It's an energy market about the size of California's. And yeah. it had almost no solar, uh, certainly no distributed generation. A couple utility-scale deals that Sun Edison yeah. had you know, started, and I don't know if they ever got built, but now there's some... Some yeah, Canadian big, bought big Canadian bought all of Canadian it and built them. it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But there wasn't really any DG, and it's just had to happen at some point. And yeah. uh, there was a community solar policy mm-hmm. that uh, made a lot of sense, but it was untested, and nobody really knew how it worked, and customers mm-hmm. really weren't adopting it yet. But it looked like the kind of place where if we could go and hang out there a little bit and get to know how these projects work. Uh, yeah. In a couple of years from now, we always knew it was going to be a multi-year waiting and learning period and a frustration uh, to kind of get there. And yeah, now it's there. I mean, there is no hotter market on planet Earth than Brazil <laughs> it's right amazing. now. It's amazing. Period. It's amazing. Well, um, if we just stopped there, right? If I just said, oh, that's, that's cool. And you guys have built an amazing portfolio, then I would falsely lead you dear listener to assume like oh yeah mike did it again he like built another he built an ipp he he, like scaled it up and pulled in tax equity investors or however you invest in brazil and and he's just building another uh you know another uh, infrastructure asset holder that is uh is generating power and charging for it but you called me with another crazy idea Yeah, so here I am investing for the first time from an investor's perspective into Mm -hmm. renewable energy. And I chose renewable energy from all the options out there, you know, from real estate or stocks and bonds and the other things that people typically choose with their their money. Uh, Knowing what I know about this asset class, I chose renewable energy again. Uh, even though I had an opportunity. Doubling down. Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, I had an opportunity to to diversify or to shift around, and and, uh, there wasn't an asset class that that does what this thing does. And, you know, simultaneously, Nico, we know that there's just, you know, we're not doing it. We're not getting the job done. We need a trillion to a trillion and a half bucks a year to move into renewable energy to prevent climate change, and we need that to happen starting a couple years ago. Yeah. And we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 billion a year. And um, it's not enough. Where are, is the money going to come from? And certainly, you know, Wall Street and ESG funds, you know, we're hearing a lot of uh, chatter about mm-hmm. more capital being invested. We're not seeing a huge increases year over year, but, you know, we were kind of stabilized at around that, you know, 280 to $350 billion bandwidth. But how are we going to quadruple this? And, um, you know, I started thinking about my own experiences now as an investor engaging this asset class uh, in lieu of stocks and bonds and thinking there must be a lot of other people looking for this type of yield. And uh, it's done well for me. And maybe this would do well for people like my father who Mm -hmm. uh, had been an investor his whole life, unknowingly, really, without controlling it. But if he had control, maybe he would have chosen renewable energy too. Um, So we set off to create a product that allowed people who are not professional investors, uh, who aren't 
you know, tax equity investors uh, mm-hmm. who could engage this asset class really easily, almost in the way that Coinbase has opened up the channels for people to engage Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Right. You know, remember how hard it was to buy Bitcoin. You might have oh been gosh. one of those guys who you, know, you were early in <laughs> had the, a Trezor wallet, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Cold storage and however mm. else you had to do it. A very few people could participate in crypto before yeah, those applications came. A lot around. of work. And you got to know your stuff. You got to study. You got to read about it and yeah. kind of take that on. It has to be a personal mission to be involved with crypto hmm. prior to that. But then along came these applications that kind of created a channel for capital to find that cryptocurrency asset class. And we just felt like it was time to create something like that for renewables. Uh, Not everybody is going to take it upon themselves to study the complexities that Mm -hmm. renewable energy projects really are. And you know, and your listeners know pretty well probably how dense this stuff can get. Um, It's trickier than real estate. It's trickier than most other power types. Uh, You have these tax equity leverage partnership flips. And, you know, there's just a lot going on under the hood Mm -hmm. of these projects. Uh, Generation exposure and foreign exchange and currency, which you might see in other asset classes, but that's all rolled up into one ball of complexity. How many people are we going to get to participate in this industry if that's what it takes to know enough to put your money into it? So yeah. we wanted to open that up so that investors could, you know, create an account, um, you know, on an app-based setting, which we're all used to doing now. Yeah. Uh, and and, fu- and funnel money into renewable energy, which is the asset, the most important asset class of our generation. Tell me something, Mike, that is true for you. This is a question that I introduced that was way past episode 85. <laughs> Tell me something that's true for you that very few people would agree with you on. Hmm. Something that's true for me, but very few people would agree with me on. Well, I'll tell you, I got a good one. I, uh, despite many requests from many of my teammates, have a hard time adopting new uh, tools and digital technologies. You, Nico, yeah. being one of them, you, you really love the new gadgets uh, of, yeah. uh, of business um, and you know, list makers and organizing softwares and scheduling stuff and Calendly and uh, there's mm-hmm. a million of them. And yeah. half of them are used somewhere in Energia. But for me, yeah. you know, I have uh, a notebook, uh, and then I have uh, Word and Excel and PowerPoint, and like those are the yeah. tools that I use. And I, I we use Dropbox, you know, quite frankly, to uh, to store our stuff. And everybody kind of makes fun of me for it because it's for some reason Dropbox is viewed as amateurish. I don't know why. It's amazing, but um, you know, I have a hard time adopting uh, new technologies and feel like sometimes people spend so much time uh, working on these, you know, setting up these new softwares that they don't spend enough time just kind of working through the work. And, um, Hmm. you know, I I just focus. I don't really need many tools other than, you know, the basics that we started off with. Uh, Although I can see many people get a lot of value out of those things, and most people will disagree with me. Um, (laughs) You know, Microsoft Office is uh, is all I'll need. (laughs) Thanks. I've I've said Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah, no, Microsoft Microsoft has... uh, is fundamental for, for Mike's life, I can tell you that. Uh, 
It's, I mean, a great, a simple example. And Mike, you move, like you have so much going on. Uh, It took an an effort of the team to just get you to have that headset on your head because (laughs) it takes time to find the headset and connect it. And you are the kind of person who's like, no, I've got the the best tool for communication ever known to mankind, and that is my my iPhone. Why why, why do I need to have, connect something else to it? I, <laughs> I have my have my AirPods Pro like basically attached to my hip at all times. And uh, and while that's all while that is true, like I'm grateful that um, that you've adopted some technology. But I've I've learned from you that I this idea that like if you have the luxury of time to decide uh how to use a a new tool then you're doing something right in your business and otherwise perhaps like me many times you're just avoiding doing the hard work by looking at the tools and figuring out how to organize all of your tasks instead of cranking through them and and i I admire that about you i really do it's something that i've um i've learned from you thank you for sharing that with some of my teammates hopefully a couple of them are listening who give me a hard time about uh, not wanting to migrate towards new technology yeah (laughs) Uh, I want to ask a qu- uh, before we kind of go into some of the other stuff that um, that that folks would recognize about kind of Suncast as a podcast. Uh, before we leave Energia dot com, uh, I'd be remiss as an investor, as a board member, as a friend to not talk a little bit about the impact because we've 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 talked at a really high level about you know the idea that it's the the it's the Robin Hood or the Coinbase for renewable investment. Um, but you also have answered the question uh, in private to folks around why go after portfolios outside of the United States and how it impacts the overall idea of this like index style fundrise investment opportunity. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to, to as much as you can, not only what the IRRs look like, but you know, you shared a story with me about, uh, some of the investors that are seeing outsized returns the, the the ability to embed like decision theory and bundling into uh into the concept can you talk a little bit about that for sure i mean it goes back nico if you think about um in hindsight if i asked you to describe what a perfect solar portfolio would look like over the last 15 years you know what markets and projects would it include you know you and i could probably pretty mm-hmm. easily do that because you know, we watched this happen. We, I, you know, we had yeah. some four hundred and ninety dollar SREC contracts with JCPNL in New Jersey. We had saw Ontario feed-in tariff go bananas. Uh, we watched uh, Massachusetts SREC one go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's now when you think globally speaking, uh, you know, you might include things like the Japan feed-in tariff uh, mm-hmm. or or many other circumstances that are. When there was this perfect alignment of policy, adoption, yep. and economics, and you know things just totally. made investors a, 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 a killing. Well, that's what we're trying to do for our investors is to guide them through what what are the next years going to look like. You know, it's right. easy to kind of play Monday morning quarterback when you're building a portfolio, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. we have to look forward and pick what are the markets that are going to be most influential and the most uh, useful to our right. uh, to our customers, and not everything we pick is going to be a winner, uh, which is why diversification is always key. Uh, it, yeah. We're not going to just 
you know, pick Mass, then New Jersey, then Ontario, then Japan. Uh, in real time, yeah. it's harder to pick those winners. Uh, so we do encourage our investors to, to sample multiple of our portfolio offerings. But ultimately, they're all uh, our best effort to select uh, the best projects available to us at any given time. And uh, you know, I don't know where the next hot market's going to be. Um, but right now, it's, it's Brazil. Uh, I think that Africa has a tremendous opportunity ahead mm -hmm. of it. Um, there's going to be a lot of solar installed there. Electricity is quite expensive. They need the generation. Yeah. Uh, diesel is your competitor. You're, you're not competing mm -hmm. against, you know, uh, you know a, a giant hydro infrastructure that already exists like the northwestern United States. It's tough to do solar in Oregon because solar because energy there is so cheap because of the hydro. Yeah. Africa doesn't have that infrastructure. You're competing against a diesel generator. So right. rates can be higher, and there are good customers there. So I could see that as evolving into a great play uh, when the time is right. And we're trying to, you know, uh, stake our claim there now. Um, I could see uh, markets in Southeast Asia. You know, they have been exploding lately, but I still think they're so big that there's still a long way to go in places like Vietnam and Australia. Um, so, you know, we're going to continue to take a look at solar and renewables more broadly uh, from a global perspective and try to identify on behalf of our investors you know where their money should be and to pick the winners and we ask that uh, they diversify uh, their port their own portfolios you know don't just because Brazil you know is flashing some pretty attractive yield projections right now uh, you know take a little bit of uh, these other markets so that um, you know you can benefit from renewable energy no matter what the future should hold for us yeah and it's the first time i've seen in my career and one of the things i mean i remember john bonanno right one of our yeah. good friends and one of my, my most intimate mentors and um I mean, yeah. the guy that i just admire so deeply when he first saw this he goes oh my gosh <laughs> this is the first time that we can actually as retail investors invest in markets like brazil and africa mm -hmm. and still have a semblance of diversity and also decide what to do with the yield. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I, I can mm. choose to invest on Robinhood in dividend yielding projects, for example. How do dividends work mm -hmm. within renewables? Like, I haven't found a renewable energy opportunity that gives me dividends in the traditional sense. Yeah, there are. So basically, what if you think about a REIT, right, a, mm -hmm. uh, which is a real estate portfolio of projects really uh -huh. similar to what we do. Uh, yeah. But they're they're managed differently and they're structured differently. When you buy into a REIT, you're buying into a company. It has executives, mm -hmm. it has payroll, it has flights, it has operating expenses, and you're buying all that too. You're not just buying purely the real estate. Whereas uh, mm -hmm. at Energia, when you invest in a portfolio, there are no operating companies. Uh, Energia is the manager. We take all the operating expenses at our at our operating company so that yep. our investors can plainly own uh you know those those dividend yielding real steel assets and um i think that uh when you look at uh, yield co's which is the renewable energy equivalent of a reit um right. you'll see that their dividends are something like four percent or five percent right. and the reason why is because the projects that comprise that yield co may very well or are certainly 
uh, dishing off higher returns than just mm -hmm. that 4%. But they are in the public market, so they have to make sure they nail their dividends every time. They're dealing yep. with intermittent resources, like we all are in renewable energy. So they're very concerned about missing. So even though they may be able to achieve an 8 or 9, they're going to offer their investors a 4% type of dividend. And what happens with everything above a 4 um, is they take that and they reinvest that into more projects, which is compounding the return for their investors, and their investors will enjoy some appreciation of the stock that they're holding as, as well as the dividends. The difference there with Energia is that we don't make that decision for you. Uh, yeah. You own that project. Its cash belongs to you. And we take 100% of the cash flow after paying the project's operating expenses and distribute it to the investors each month. And we don't have, we don't know exactly, uh, uh, you know, we don't have a number that we try to hit. If I wanted to just offer a 6% return, we could hit that every single month without trying too hard. <laughs> but the, yeah. you know, instead we just dump the account and it's better than a six. And then if you choose yeah. to compound that by buying more stock or reinvesting that dividend, then that's your choice. But we're not going to make that decision for our investors. So that, that's one of right. the major differences between our product and a traditional yield co. Yeah. I, and I don't know what you're allowed to say, um, but are you able to talk at all about the kinds of returns that you're sure. seeing on the platform? That's one of the beautiful things about Regulation A is that not only does it allow us to uh, collect capital from both accredited and non-accredited investors, but allows us to actually talk numbers with them, which is something wow. that you couldn't do before Reg A. Yeah. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, United States is sort of the safest market, right? You have dollars, right. um, you have a great rule of law. Uh, there are some, some things that we really like about the U.S. market, but unfortunately it's yielding stuff in the six and a half to say eight and a half type of range. Mm -hmm. And we mix those projects together into our U.S. portfolio. And, right. you know, it's simply it's you have to have a lot of money at work to retire off six yeah. percent or seven percent. <laughs> you know, um, it's a lot easier to retire off a 20 percent return. Uh, and, you know, in Brazil, mm -hmm. you know, we see things unlevered uh, in the neighborhood of you know, 16 to 18 percent. And we think that wow. we're going to we're going to beat those projections. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just such an attractive market, and it's really fun to play in that market right now. And you need one-third the amount of money working for you to retire at the same quality of life, right? So these returns matter. And remember going back to yeah. why we started Energias, because you know the Wells Fargo banker came to me and said, well, we have the 4% product, the 5% product, or the 6% product, and none of those are really going to help me. Uh, yeah. So you know, this is uh, why you go I to emerging markets. I remember the day that it clicked for me. You probably do too, but there are many that many conversations we've had. The day that it clicked for me is uh, you called me and you said, "Hey, uh, board member, is coming in to uh, invest," and uh, and board member did something really interesting. This board member invested a, a self-directed IRA in the. In, in, we'll just say north of six figures uh, into the into the energy of platform, not into the equity, but actually reinvested pro into the product. 
mm-hmm. someone who could have invested all that money on, on, you know, into equity actually like transferred sort of another call it investment class that was a self-directed IRA into Energia. <laughs> and this is someone that both you and I like deeply respect and admire as an investor. And for me that day was the day that I just got, I just turned to my wife and I said, this thing is the most interesting investment vehicle I've ever seen in my life. Nice. And, Thanks, um, yeah, it's great to have you part that, of it, man. That, it's really, it's really special to have, you know, uh, a veterans all over the place at this business. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the, uh, I think that success leaves clues and if you're able to see the kind of investors that are investing into a certain asset class or into a certain business who you respect and admire in some, like there are many cases where you don't even have to ask questions. It's success leaves clues. Uh, if, if Tony Robbins tells me that mindset matters, I'm going to actually spend some time working on mindset, (laughs) right? If, uh, if one of my, clean energy and I'll say like entrepreneurial heroes who is in fact one of the, you know, this particular board member, uh, who I have known for much longer than I've known you and actually have admired and, and he's been a mentor for longer than I've known you. If he says with his dollars, I'm, I'm actually like kind of going all in, um, regardless of, uh, of the, of the company, I'm going to take that really seriously. Um, and when you compound that with the things that we've talked about on this conversation, it comes, it comes back to this global consciousness that we have so little time in the next decade to leave an impact that will affect our children and their children and their children. Generations to come will be looking at us, asking, uh, either thanking us for the decisions that we made or condemning us for the decisions that we made or confused by why we didn't act faster. Uh, and we have to move the talent in the right direction and we have to move the treasure in the right direction and we have to do it at such an accelerated pace that i i even if i weren't uh, invested personally in your business i would be grateful to see a company coming along saying how can we do this with greater velocity greater equity in terms of who can invest and uh and and greater in, intention um so I'm I'm really uh, I'm really excited about what is going to be possible for other entrepreneurs who are going to definitely come along. They're going to leverage the things that you and and the Fundrise folks and, and the whole ecosystem around Reg A and, and Reg CF have created and made possible to con- to to continue to raise the tide for all for all ships. Uh, it is such an exciting time for all of us who have been a, a decade plus two decades in this industry to see what's possible. Yeah. So 400 episodes deep, Nico, you've met so many different people uh, who are engaged in this uh, and they've also had the pleasure of getting to, to meet you. And um, I think that we can proudly say that there are more people in, in this business, you know, thanks to the work that you do. And, uh, we can only hope that 
someday we can say yeah, there's more money in this asset class thanks to the work that we're doing at Energia. But uh, you know, I know you normally end your episodes thanking the uh, you know, your guests. But in this case, uh, because we're celebrating your 400th episode, I want to end this one by thanking you for what you do for this industry and to cheer you on to keep it going and make it louder and bang those pots and pans until everybody listens that this is an exciting place mm -hmm. to work and everyone's invited. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. It has been uh, a journey and it will continue to be one as we uh, as we raise the standard and uh, and open the doors, build the bridges for folks to uh, take action, uh, massive action, not only on the climate uh, or the clean energy transition, but climate, uh, the climate call to action that we all uh, that we all have as a society, as a human race. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time out of your Saturday to be here with uh, with me and to really celebrate a milestone for the for the podcast but also i feel like we're celebrating a lot of milestones for our industry as we mature as well uh for you know we've we've said a lot about your business but uh where where do you like to be found if folks want to engage with you how could they best learn more about you and your business for sure well energia.com is our platform and i hope people come mm -hmm. and check it out uh if you have projects that are you're looking for capital, we would love to take a look and consider investing in them uh, as a crowd of investors. Uh, and if you're an investor yourself, uh, we hope you come in and create an account. It, the minimum to invest is only 100 bucks because we wanted it to be uh, open to as many people as possible to participate, right. even to just dip your toes in. And let us see mm -hmm. if we do a great job. And then if you like it, uh, we're pretty confident that you'll come back for more. And uh, Mike at Energia.com if you want to reach out to me directly. Probably the easiest way. Yeah. And that's E-N-E-R-G-E-A.com. Well, Mike, one thing that won't, won't change anytime soon on Suncast, let's end today with a bold prediction. What well, one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball for the next uh, evolution of our industry? Well, Nico, one thing that I would like to see and that we're working on here at Energia for the future of our industry is that we're going to recognize that as the world turns, the sun is hitting various parts and various projects and creating clean, carbon-free electricity. And to really experience that through the product, through the application, where you can see in real time the portfolios that you own as they generate power, where it's sunny and maybe turning off and winding down where it's nighttime and to really experience firsthand what it is to be in a world powered by clean energy. I love it. Uh, the, the ability to invest in and see visibly continuous 24-hour clean power. What a beautiful future uh, we are helping build. Let's do it. Mike Silvestrini is the co-founder and CEO of Energia. You can learn more and invest as little as $100 at Energia.com. Mike, thank you for joining me on this momentous episode 400 of Suncast. Congratulations, Nico. Thanks, buddy. All right, Solar Warrior. Well, that's a wrap on episode number 400 of Suncast. Whew. What a journey. A real special thank you to my friend Mike for coming along with us on this journey, but also to Evan 
on the Energia team for helping edit the video and even the audio piece of this episode. Hey, if you haven't seen with your own eyes the Energia marketing videos, man, they are a sight to behold. They're truly inspirational. And as you heard today, if you've been thinking about investing in renewable energy projects, but have never been able to really wrap your head around how to do that, then I would encourage you head over to energia.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-E-A.com and set up your own account. It's the only place that I know that for as little as a hundred bucks, you can own a piece of a solar farm in the US, in Brazil, even in Africa. And you even get dividends paid out. There's no special link or discount code needed, really. It's already a tremendous value that I think you should just look into. Well, if you are eager to keep learning, you, my fellow Follow Math, can find the resources and highlights from this and every discussion, along with the social media links, connection with Mike over on LinkedIn, book recommendations, show highlights, and more over at the blog at mysuncast.com. And hey, this is a huge milestone for Suncast. I mean, 400 episodes, and I'm just really thrilled to have gotten to this to this point. I would love to know what you have learned from Suncast, because as my friend Andrea says, You learn something new every day. Indeed you do, Andrea, and I bet that you do as well, Solar Warrior. Would you do me a huge favor and just hop on LinkedIn, maybe Twitter, and, and leave me a little love note about what Suncast has meant to you. What have you learned from Suncast? I love hearing from you and getting to see how our work has impacted your life. Maybe it's just a thank you. Maybe you, like my buddy Dan, have incorporated Suncast episodes into your college course curriculum. Whatever it is, I'd love it if you'd leave a comment on either my episode 400 post on LinkedIn or maybe create one of your own, like I said, a tweet, however you want to share it. But share how Suncast has benefited or impacted you. What have you learned today? I'd be honored to read it and even share it with my tribe. Well, next week, the good times keep rolling as we go deep on leveraging drones to accelerate your residential and even CNI solar business safely and effectively on our Tactical Tuesday with Scanifly's Jason Steinberg. And on Thursday's episode, I'll introduce you to my friend Amy Simpkins, who recently launched her own podcast. Congrats to you, Amy. And she's all the while running MuGrid with her husband and past Suncast guest, Travis Simpkins. It's a heartfelt look at the trials and rewards of starting a business with your spouse after a career working on space rockets. Thanks again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like you twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. I'm honored you've chose to tune in here. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>